All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, You can reach us in our Corpus Christi or San Antonio office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch MoneyWise on all your favorite podcast streaming services across the country. So as we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1,190 points, or 3.4%. The S&P 500 was down about 81 points last week, or 1.9%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 39 points, or three-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 8.8%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 10.9%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 8.9%. Well, you never want to count the NASDAQ out because like that horse in the back of the pack, you never know when it's going to get a burst of energy and speed. So we've got about like 10, 12 trading days left, something like that. I have to go count them up. And the the Dow for the quarter to date, if the quarter had ended on Friday – would have only been up nine-tenths of a percent, and the NASDAQ is up almost 6% for the quarter. And if anyone's been listening to our show here the last uh, few months, we've been talking about how the Dow has been outperforming both the uh, S&P and the NASDAQ. And it, 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 uh, here in the last few months, pretty handily, I might, I might add. And that is all reversed here in the last two weeks. We talked a little bit about it starting to reverse last week. And this week, it definitely reversed in earnest with the Dow being down almost uh, 3.5% for the week and the NASDAQ you know, virtually unchanged. Uh, I would have to, uh, I guess, lay this at the feet of, of maybe the Federal Reserve meeting have being part we're get, of, we're, of we're, the reason. We're, we're getting into the F word already? Yeah. and Getting and, into the F word. And by the way, we've got no eight trading days. There. We've got we've got hey, eight trading you, days Kyle. left for the second quarter. So we've got eight trading days left for the second quarter. And should we get into the F word? I mean, boy, Dad is going to be hot on the phone. Well, right? well, he's he he admonished he admonished me a little bit this week when I saw him about how much we talked about it. But look, this is what this is this is the subject top you know the top subject on the list is you know what is everyone wringing their hands trying to 
you know, get out their crystal ball and figure out what the Federal Reserve is thinking. And, and we, I think we've been saying this between, between meetings. I, I felt pretty strongly that whatever their base case was in March uh, about when they were, when they, when the uh, Federal Reserve governors uh, thought that they might, you know, when, when you look at the average of all the, the Federal Reserve governors, the dot plot is what they call it what their opinion was on when the first uh, interest rate hike would be coming from the Fed. The, the, the consensus was that it wasn't going to be until uh, sometime in 2023. And lo and behold, after a few hot inflation numbers from the producer price index to the consumer price index, uh, when we had the latest Federal Reserve meeting, it shouldn't be any big surprise that uh, the number of governors uh, now expect had the potential for interest rate increases in 2022, uh, that number, the number of governors has increased. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of uh, possibility to expect the market to react somewhat negatively to this change in consensus. And then compounding that, on Friday with a non-voting member of the Federal Reserve, uh, last name Bullard, I can't think of his first name, comes out and talks of, and, and says that he's in the, he's in the 2022 camp that they're going to raise. Even though, even, even though he's a non-voting well, member. That's fine. It, it, he's, and, he's welcome to express his opinion. It, 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 but this is, there's a track record with him making statements. Yeah, of the market it, 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 exactly. Governor Bullard, and I remember talking about this years ago on the Money Wise program. It seemed when he was a voting member of the FOMC years back, every time he opened up his mouth in the media, the Dow Jones Industrial Average take 100 to 125 points off the Dow. I mean, instantaneously once he opened up his mouth. Well, he opened up his mouth on Friday as a non-voting member, and he cut 500-plus points off the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And honestly – I don't feel that he said really much anything different than what Jerome Powell said in his press conference as the chairman of the Federal Reserve on Wednesday where the market didn't really react. And as far as the interest rate increases potentially into 2022, we're talking towards the very end of 2022 going into 2023. We're still in 2021, right. folks. I mean, there, we still have a long runway before we get to the end of 2022. This is going to be passed, potentially passed in November midterms. We can only get there fast enough. Um, and just to but, be clear, but, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're, we're kind of tongue in cheeking it, blaming the 500 point drop in the Dow Jones yes. and the Savage on Friday on what, uh, what Governor uh, Bullard, Governor said. Bullard, Bullard said, because there's also a simultaneous, uh, Triple witching. It was triple witching, which which in it, whenever it happens every quarter, it tends to be a volatile. volatile. It tends to be vol volatile, and volatility has has definitely ramped up here this week after the Federal Reserve meeting. There were a few economic statistics which I'll get into in the the following segments of this weekend's Money Wise program that uh, might have a little bit, you know, pretty at the producer price index. And I'll talk about that later. Yeah. You want to say something, Kyle? Well, I just want to say something before we go to our first commercial break. I mean, we've been talking this year on the Money Wise program, how we've been barbelling our portfolio, how we started in earnest the first week of January, taking profits in our high flying tech names, still owning them, but scraping off the profits, but then starting to add the other side of our barbell, which is your, your classic, 
growth stocks that pay consistent dividends to add income to the portfolio. So we have participation in both the kind of glass classic growth, more value names with lower price earnings multiples, but then we have the other side of the portfolio that has the higher flying, higher PE tech names that don't typically pay a dividend that provides that stronger growth engine to our portfolio. And this is the type of year where we're constantly seeing this rotation now we're starting to see a rotation out of the, some of the value names and going into the growth names. And I want to finish this thought when we come back from the, from the commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch Money Wise on all your favorite streaming podcast services. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just kind of giving a quick recap of the happenings of last week on Wall Street, getting into the Fed, the F word. We're getting into the F word very, very quickly into this weekend's Money Wise program. But before we went to break, I was talking about what we had been doing in our portfolios that started at the beginning of the year. And we've been talking about it all year on the Money Wise program, how we've been barbelling the stocks out of our portfolio, where we started the year with higher and bigger allocations to the higher priced, price earning multiple technology names, healthcare names that did extremely well for us in 2020 and how we took, scraped a lot of those profits and started reallocating the portfolio by adding the other end of our barbell. And that other end of the barbell consists of value stocks and value stocks are lower price earning multiple stocks Typically, we'd considered more of the classic names like your Cokes or your Pepsis, your Kimberly Clarks, your 3Ms, some of the down names, and they're dividend payers. So we could increase current income into the portfolio because in this historically low interest rate environment, the fixed income or the bond side of our portfolio is just not generating as much current income as we would like. So this is how we generate more income. And we've been talking about it all year. And we've seen really up until about, uh, what, two, three, four weeks ago, the large cap, particularly the large cap and small cap value side, or the value large cap and small cap asset classes have really been outperforming and leaving the rest of the market kind of in a, a trail of dust. But in the last three to four weeks, we're now starting to see a rotation where these bigger tech names that have been getting walloped all year are starting to finally, what we call in the industry, catch a bid or starting to see money start flowing into, into them. And even Jim Cramer was talking about it on Friday's CNBC in the morning, starting to see a little bit of a rotation. So are we starting to see some of those gains and some of that money generated in the small cap and large cap value asset class, some of those profits or some of that money now transitioning back into these technology names? Well, if you had a barbell portfolio, you, you, get, the, you get the ability to kind of participate in both. It's, it's diversifying 
the stocks out of your portfolio helps mitigate risk, but it also allows you to participate in these multiple asset classes to where you're not so highly concentrated in large, large cap growth in particular or small cap growth or large cap value. You have, again, old adage on Wall Street, you've spread your eggs across many, many baskets. And so the jury is still out if this is just, as we've talked on this show, is it a trade or is it a trend? A trend being more long-term, a trade being more short-term. So that's really the $64,000 question. Well, considering where we're at in terms of the last handful of trading days in the quarter, you know, we've got earnings season upon us. You know, a, a month from now, we're going to be deep into second quarter earnings. So I'm not really expecting... A, a, a big earnest shift from one side of the barbell to the other, if they're going to go from value to growth until we get some of these earnings numbers out. Because remember the earning, the earnings comparisons are going to, are going to continue to get tougher and tougher and tougher, especially for the large cap tech growth names as we get later and later into the year, you know, getting year over year comparisons. You know, this week we had another, hot inflation number with producer prices <clears throat> up 6.6% in May, which was the largest 12 month increase on record. And these, and they've been keeping records for this particular statistic for almost 11 years. Uh, so that, you know, that's, again, we're going to get back to that debate, whether it's quote unquote transitory or non-transitory the federal reserve and everything I heard from Chairman Powell say during the meeting, they are still firmly in the transitory camp. Okay. And, and that, and that, and that but, really, and that's really due to the supply bottlenecks. That's that what they're seen. hanging their hats on. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Joe, you want to say something? Well, no, I'm, essentially the toughest thing is money managers is looking at a pandemic and going in, you know, during the, the depths of the pandemic and then coming out of a pandemic and all the stimulus money that's been pumped into the economy. Yes, we're going to have some inflation, but what does transitory mean? And there's no way you're, you're going to get out of a situation where we don't have a little bit of inflation with the amount of money that's been pumped into the economy and people getting back to work. So it's, I would say as money managers, it's, it's the importance of having a barbell strategy and have some flexibility with how you manage your portfolio is extremely important and not just having 10% here, 10% in another asset class, but it's there is Well, well, I think, I, I, and I think Joe, you're also alluding to the keys, really the keys of why active management is, is so critical to anybody's portfolio, whether if you're doing it yourself or have, or working with someone that is physically managing your assets, not just harvesting them to ship them off to somebody else to manage that you don't have a relationship with how most firms work, but not here at Davidson Capital, you're talking to the money managers. But, but what, I, but, but I think that that really goes to the key. And I think also Joe, what you're alluding to is that there's no playbook. Right. You know, there's no playbook to a global pandemic. There's and no pandemic playbook unless there, you were alive when we had the Spanish flu. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sorry. There, the, no, there is no, there is no playbook. The Federal, the Federal Reserve didn't exist during the Spanish no. flu. So no, there, that's, that's, there, but there they wasn't don't have a playbook this, either. They don't have the playbook no, either. No, there, there, and, there is, I agree. There is no playbook for any of this. Uh, the the so only, this is, the only playbook that you maybe can draw some parallels to is the 0809 time period when there was all this money being pumped in to the 
economy via the Federal Reserve's what dad was here, he'd say manipulation of, of interest rates via quantitative easing. Well, we've just got another version, another version of, of quantitative easing happening now with the added impetus of the government, you know, really being involved with all this unemployment, you know, increasing unemployment benefits. Definitely something we didn't see in the 08, 09 time period. Uh, so that's the only parallels that you can that you can draw from, and so you'd know somewhere after the you know, the tapers begin, the market's going to have a taper tantrum. We don't know how big the taper tantrum is going to be. Uh, there's going to be these mini tantrums in here, just like we had a mini tantrum this week in, in the on S Friday in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and, and so the machines are going to be tuned in to every word said by a Federal Reserve governor, no matter where they're speaking, they'll be mining these words, just like the Bitcoin guys are mining those Bitcoins. They're going to be mining those words every, wherever they are. They're going to be people there, you know, recording, reporting. Those machines are ready to go, and they're going to trade. And when you have someone, like you said, a totally non-voting member of, uh, of the Federal Reserve system, the media loves to talk to, and he's been on a ton. He's probably the, the most next, visible next to next, next, to, to, next, to, next to the chairman Powell. Exactly. He is the most visible person when it comes from, from, from the entire federal reserve system. And so when he speaks, the machines listen. Clarida is also starting to get to the level of Governor Bullard. Well, Governor Clarida no. is also starting to get there also. But but I think a, a lot of professional money managers, I think a lot of it, individual investors are, are everyone this year is really searching for direction. You know, which asset class is going to be pulling ahead? Which one is going to be leading? Is it going to be more broad-based participation across a multitude of different asset classes? We know which hasn't been the case so far. It hasn't. It's been small cap value. It's been, it's been large cap value as the two main asset classes that have really been driving the returns for this year's market. But now we're starting to see the large cap growth, particularly in the tech space and the tech industry for that starting, to stick for that starting to, stick, to, starting yeah. to emerge starting to emerge for that so. to stick and for that to continue and for the the value versus growth side of, of a comparison to become a little more equal right now it's it's as out of whack as it was growth versus value in 2020 for that to more equalize in 2021, the earnings have to have to be there for those growth stocks. And so we're going to get another picture of that here in, in, a, in a month. And if the growth, if, if the earnings aren't there, you know, some of this money sh may shift right back to value. Well, like, like I said on last weekend show and shows before that, you know, the, the six most recent stocks that we have picked up and we're not done building the positions because we build them slowly and slowly in dollar cost average in, but the six stocks that we have added are specifically designed to participate. They're in industry spaces that, that perform better in a higher interest rate and higher inflationary environment. And I, I do have some, you know, I do agree with Joe that I think there's no way that we're going to be able to get out of any kind of monetary inflation, not when you have the employers having to lure people to come back to work 
by paying them higher salaries to get off the couch and get to work. And so I don't think we're going to be able to escape no monetary inflation as we've recovered, as we're continuing to recover from the pandemic. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch MoneyWise on all of your favorite streaming podcast services. So I wanted to do just a quick clarification before we went to the bottom of the hour break. I was, I was kind of making a comment to Joe's comment about not being able to escape monetary inflation. And I wanted to clarify, we know that the Federal Reserve's mandate for monetary inflation is 2%. They've said it. That's been one of their their two biggest mandates for the Federal Reserve is full employment and price and, stability. And price stability. What I mean by we're not going to be able to escape inflation is what I what I'm meaning is above that 2% mandate. Now I know Governor Bullard on Friday mentioned that they're now looking to they're they're now um estimating that we're going to see the monetary inflation right around 3.4%, which is a full percent, you know, 1.4% above their mandate, but then it'll be coming back down as we get in closer to their 2% mandate as we get into 2022. But what I was saying about not being able to escape monetary inflation is above that 2% mandate because we still have the situation that's present today where you have 8 million people unemployed, but you have over 8 million jobs available, and we still have a lot of states continuing to provide these unemployment benefits that there's a lot of debate going around is if this is incentivizing people to not go back to work, which then leads to supply chain bottlenecks, which leads to higher inflation in different products and goods and services. So we're this having is, chicken inflation. Has anybody been to the store? Well, I mean, we're chicken, to wings, get chicken wings. But <laughs> I, I, mean, to get, I try to get a Cobb salad from HEB. Chicken. We, we usually work through lunch. What about Our, beef oh, prices? Is, oh, no, no chicken Cobb salad at HEB. You got to be what, kidding me. I mean, look at beef prices. I mean, look, I mean, it's almost like if you had someone on the show. If we had someone on the show that was a restaurant owner. And, and talking about their margins and how they've gotten squeezed. What about home builders? Now, granted, lumber has come lumber has down. Lumber has come down a ton. Has come down a ton, yes. But what about the other commodities that go into a home like copper? I know copper is also taking a hit. But you still have these supply bottlenecks when it comes to all the supplies for building a home. Or what about the appliances? You know, there, there's still these bottlenecks that are creating and causing these inflationary issues and that's, again, we get right back to the topic of, is it transitory or not? I think when we get to the, the unemployment rate back to around the 5% or less level, that's going to be, that's going to be a, a real big light that's going to shine on the subject as and, to and whether supply, or not it is transitory. Supply can hopefully catch up relatively quickly to demand. That, that's, well, that's true. That's going to be the key to getting inflation down is getting supply catching back up. That's right. And that's and, and, and some believe, well, we can't get supply to catch up until we get employees back to work. 
and we're not going to get employees back to work until the the there's an incentive for them to come back to work and how much income is that going right. to be to get them to come back to work because if they're now if the employer is now having which, to pay up which in itself will be inflationary work, exactly which leads to inflation so so you may get an offsetting effect okay so the employees come back so we can increase increase production there before increase supply but the cost of increasing that supply is higher because we had to pay the employees more to get to come back to work. So how much is the 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 cost decline in the in supplies coming, you know, increasing versus other inputs, you know, input values increasing? So it's it's like I said, like we so, were saying, this is a this there is no playbook for this situation. So what? So, so the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve, you know, it's like. Chairman Powell in the in the uh, meeting on Wednesday in the the Q and A afterwards, yeah, they're they're data dependent. They're week to week. They're looking at the numbers. They're just they're you know the forecast is only only as good as the forecaster making, it, and it's only as good as the data that the forecaster has in front of them at the time, which is constantly changing. So essentially, what we're saying is, if you're, I've played football. If you've got a playbook, you better be ready to call an audible. <laughs> That's really it. As many in, your, in your portfolio, yes. In your portfolio, are you equipped to call an audible? And and is your is, advisor is, equipped to call an audible? Yes. Is it being actively managed to be able to call that audible? And and really that that comes back around to. So what does that mean to an investor? And and I would say from our standpoint, this is where you really do need to to concentrate on how your dollars are spread across the asset classes. You know, that's one thing we look at at reports when we analyze our own portfolios is how are the assets on the stock side of our portfolio broken down between large cap value, large cap growth, small cap value, small cap growth. How is it all broken down to make sure that we have our eggs properly spread across a multitude of different asset class baskets? But that's just one part of the scenario. Then you, if you're buying individual stocks, you have to then find the companies that you feel are fundamentally sound to then fill those, fill those positions. And that takes a, a whole lot of work in order to do that. Now, I know a lot of investors will just go and have a shotgun blast of ETFs against the wall and hope and hope that they, they have some decent performance in their portfolio, but you can't just set it and forget it. Joe, you had something? Well, I, I think Kyle's talking about a portfolio review and the portfolio review process and looking at the individual securities that you have, how they work in conjunction with each other. And, and Kyle and I were Je and Jeff were talking about before the show about you also need to know where all of your different accounts are if you're going to do a review. I mean, part of the process is, yes, we have software. We can do a sit down and show you where you are, but you need to know where all of your different accounts are. If you have 401k spread out all over the place because you've changed jobs, you better make sure you have a handle on that because that's an integral part of, of making sure you're heading in the right direction and making sure all of your holdings are working together and all your stocks and all your bonds. And all your well, and, and, and that's a very good point because when we do the portfolio reviews and analysis, we, we can work with prospective clients that might have an account over at this firm, an account over at that firm, an account here, an account there, and they don't have a handle or their arms around, are these positions, are these portfolios 
working in unison together or are they working against one another and they don't know and that should be a concern for any investor that has accounts spread all over the place but even having multiple accounts within the same firm are these accounts designed to work together or against each other because every manager has different investment management philosophies i know jeff you reviewed a portfolio uh, from a prospective client, multiple portfolios that had multiple portfolios within the same money manager, where one account was negative for the year. They were and the other wild, was wildly different asset allocations and wildly different securities within the portfolios and huge differences in performances. We're talking in excess of 10% yeah. differences in a single year. I mean, it made no sense whatsoever. To, to have that wide a difference with the same same advisor. The one thing, we, we try to keep it simple at That's Davidson right. Capital Management and that every client owns, if they're in our individually managed accounts, it's for a million dollar and greater uh, portfolios, they all own this, they own the same stocks, whether it's a moderate asset allocation or whether it's a conservative asset allocation or whether it's an aggressive asset allocation, everyone owns the same stocks. They just own them in different proportions between those stocks and individual bonds, whether they be individual municipal bonds, individual corporate bonds. And then in our asset builder program, which is for clients under a million dollars in assets for, for available for investment across our conservative, moderate, and aggressive asset allocation models, everyone owns the same exchange traded funds, the same mutual funds, but they just own them in different proportions. So the more conservative asset allocation model owns less stocks and more bonds versus an aggressive asset allocation model that owns more stocks and less bonds. It's, it's, so that's how we keep it simple, but yet we're able to deliver various different types of, 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 of risk profiles for the for appropriate you know client needs. But to have a, you know the same advisors that have such wildly different portfolio security asset allocations and security selection doesn't make a lot of sense. And when uh, you look at it from an aggregate standpoint, the overall performance might not be as good as you think. Yeah. It might not be as good as you think when you when you aggregate all the portfolios together. And one other thing I wanted to mention, within these different asset allocation models we have from aggressive, moderate to conservative, then we're also tactically making adjustments within each one of those models of how much we're going to be allocating to stocks, how much we're going to be allocating to bonds and to cash during specific market conditions. You know, that's something else. That's the, the tactical aspect that we take within each one of those models. So yes, they own the same thing and in different proportions, but then we also take an even broader view of the major asset classes, stocks, bonds, and cash. And then we tactically move the assets between those three major asset classes in real-time market conditions. And we make those decisions for our clients in-house at Davidson Capital Management. We're not shipping it off to another money manager that you don't know is involved in the process who's adding an extra layer of your fees. But unfortunately, for most individual investors to find out at the firm you're working with that does that, you got to go dig into their ADV to see these outside relationships they have that you never knew existed. 
So it's always best to dig deep and to do your research. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can catch Money Wise on all your favorite podcast streaming services. So, Joe, you you brought up an interesting point. You were doing a portfolio review here recently with a name brand um, brokerage firm, uh, financial well salespeople. Known. Everybody knows them. Well known. And the, the thing that just absolutely floored you is you were looking at statements going back a year and a half and in a quote-unquote managed portfolio, there was not a single trade, anything changed in the portfolio for a year and a half. Now, let's think about what has occurred in the market the last year and a half. I believe there was something called the COVID pandemic and the quickest and sharpest pullback of the markets almost in history almost in history, and there wasn't a single trade made. I, I, I'm, I, these are the, again, this is why we offer these portfolio reviews and analysis for the second opinion. For let's lift up the hood, let's check the engine of your portfolio to make sure it doesn't have a busted head gasket and hemorrhaging oil all over the engine block. Well, and I would say this is hemorrhaging oil all over the engine block to not make one single the pandemic, We have seen some portfolios to the review process that said it and forget it, and they actually got lucky, and they got back what they lost, okay, in a relatively short period of time. But you, that would not have happened in 2008. All yeah, right? in 0809, we saw portfolios from this same – major wall street brokerage firm that clearly demonstrated the set it and forget it portfolio strategy because it took them until you know two three years later to get back to where they were at the beginning of the financial crisis and so it's just amazing because i i i posed the same question to another client who had who did business also with this same major Wall Street firm. And I asked them to go back and pull their records to see how many changes were made in their portfolio. Uh, they, ne they never told me exactly how many they, they were made, but based on your experience, Joe, it sounds like this firm must have the most incredible crystal ball that, that, that's ever been known in investing. And they knew precisely what was going to happen after the 30% down month of March of 2020. Now, if you believe that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, I've got some swampland to sell you in Arizona because that ain't, that's not what happened. What happened was is they got L-U-C-K-Y, and Lucky is not a long-term investment, successful investment strategy. Or a ticker symbol. So It's just not. Well, but, but, go ahead, Joe. I'm going to finish my train of thought here because sometimes I got to eat. 
All right, if y'all seen me, I don't have a problem eating. But through this, talking Get to some brisket, Joe. I, yes, I've done a portfolio review for this particular person before. We were doing a 401k, you know, education meeting, uh, education meeting. But the particular client, uh, uh, client had four different portfolios, so four different accounts with this particular firm. One of them was fee-based, the other three were not. Now, I do understand sometimes maybe the client didn't want to have fee-based uh, accounts across the board, but when you're dealing with a money manager and somebody that's a fiduciary, a true fiduciary, and you're, you're paying a fee, typically with us, we're going to have a fee on all the different accounts and they're all going to work together. That's the thing that I kind of find shocking that some of these firms will let one particular account be fee-based and the other accounts are going to be old school where they're in four particular funds, 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%. They'll rebalance once a year and they forget it. That floored me a little bit. I didn't know that actually. But, well, well, you know, but you know why they did this though, Joe, you have one account. That's probably the largest one that's fee-based. So you get, you get your management fees from that. It's probably a retirement account and the others may or may not be non-retirement, may, may or not be retirement accounts. So they could be non-retirement accounts, but all those securities in those non in those other non-managed accounts all have 12 B one fees. I know those funds have, have back, have, have back, have 12 B one fees, which, which reward the broker. For keeping them in for keeping, there. For keeping them in those particular securities. Well, don't forget about the revenue sharing also, Jeff, on top of the 12B1. So okay. the, the, the bottom line is if, if, they, if anyone listening to this weekend's program could take anything away, what we truly believe at Davidson Capital Management is what builds and maintains long-term wealth. It's not capturing every percentage gain on the upside. It's keeping your hole shallower on the downside. The shallower you keep your hole on the downside, the better you're going to be able to build your wealth and maintain it over the long term. It's about defense is the best offense. That's how we manage money at Davidson Capital Management. You know, does it mean that every decision we make in the portfolio is right? No, it's not. We'll make 10 decisions. Six to seven of them will work. Three to four of them won't. But the value that we bring to our clients is that they can look as dead in our eye as the actual portfolio manager and decision maker and know that it's being made in-house and ask us the question, these decisions didn't work, why? And we can provide that explanation because I can assure you it came with a ton of research, analysis, and forethought. It just wasn't in that particular stock's season for when we bought it. So, and I believe, Joe, this particular firm farms all their, the money management out and the person that they're dealing with is not the actual money manager. No. Which, which, <laughs> which adds, is most firms. Which, which, which adds a firms. which adds a higher level of you know another fees. layer of fees, and that's the unfortunate unfortunate part that most investors may or may not realize is that the typical person that they're working with in the financial service industry is not the actual portfolio manager, not the actual decision maker. They're more of the relationship manager that is licensed to sell you something, whether that's a, a, a money management service, asset management service, whether that's an investment product or mutual fund or exchange traded fund, they're there and licensed to sell you. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to understand as the individual investor, if you're working with that type of an organization, you are the decision maker. You are the one that is calling the shots, not, not your relationship manager. 
And so they definitely have their role in the financial service industry. You just have to look within yourself as an investor of what type of relationship do I want to have? Do I want to have a professional money management team that I actually have a relationship with? Or do I want a relationship manager over my investment nest egg and allow somebody else who I don't know, who doesn't know me and my goals to be making the investment decisions on my behalf and I don't know them from Adam. So that's the decision you have to make. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So for listeners of MoneyWise on 1200 WOAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's MoneyWise program. If you'd like to catch the second hour of this weekend's show, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. And for MoneyWise listeners on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with investor education. But before I sign off, just like to wish all the fathers out there a happy Father's Day. And Viva Fiesta in San Antonio. That's right. And stay with that, cool. Stay cool. And you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time, and I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors behavior and so doing some research and really where this spur you know really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago uh, Dalbar released a study and they release a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return um, and and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own and and from time to time when i meet with prospective clients and current clients we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios so in my research i actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family munder i want to give them the credit for for putting this presentation together which i thought was just fantastic presentation that i wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought but it also includes some of these dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So 
looking at this presentation, you know, historic and historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish obje- objectives and achieve re- and achieve returns. The result is is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, They also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's That's a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the conser- really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys. Glenn Beck, uh, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity. You, know, you listen to these shows, every one of them has got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, run, runs gold ads. Mm-hmm. And and you know and again we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because again this twenty four hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind um, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market you know something else from emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth and i know with a lot of the self-help books out there with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites i think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, 
you know, with 70-plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part-time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, a, a pretty uh, Good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the MoneyWise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are that are managing their own assets. And one one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis, when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. 
So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data. Uh, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is, especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401k, Contributing as as much as you can, if you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k, that obviously that's going to give you the the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement. Contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis, time and time again, and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations because it gives us, the, the investment manager, the ability to, to buy, could always be in the market, Buying securities, maybe you know, like right now, we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down. Mm-hmm. And by dollar cost averaging all the time, and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement, and even if you're not contributing, if you if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account. Get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one, too, and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. I'm not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making and so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has 
when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this in kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index, the new Oh, interest? brother, did you hit that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean, they use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside, every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches. And so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations, a la equity indexed annuities. And, and let's give an example. Recently, you, we, we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience – for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five-year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S and P 500 index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S and P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20% or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, it, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. 
So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment if analogies are used to represent stability. And analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations. Again, leads back to indexed annuities. When I read this, I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring, you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm -hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the, the value of the security could go down and how uh, those 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 aspects of the investment are not discussed but the focus is all on the yield that's right and, and not and not you know can i get my money out if i need to liquidate how fast can i get a hold of my money and what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment kind of going back to that i'm getting a 10% yield, but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior and, and again, going into uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a, a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys, you know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental mental accounting, and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others. And I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks to us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities whether they be municipal government corporate than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies we see more risk in owning a 30-year exxon bond than we do maybe owning exxon stock or at&t or verizon or you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies so, so even though you're talking about 
gold in particular because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold. But I could also say the same thing for cash, you know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio. Now, this is interesting, diversification. Now, in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now, it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three or four stocks. Five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Kramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance, I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and and different precious metal miners, and guess what? They feel that they're diversified, but they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds, cash, cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector, that's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, hurting. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even to thinking more of a, contra- you know, being more of a contrarian as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who defear, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. 
And when you get too busy you, 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 and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you, can't, you cannot take the – you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency – it's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news – Without reasonable examination, going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So, again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then, finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. But because 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio uh i don't think anybody was using five percent well a 20-year bond 20 years ago would have yielded more than five percent mm-hmm. which means if you just bought a 20-year bond 20 years ago and held it for the 20 years you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average in yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I I, I think again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion 
and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your emotion, your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control, that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio you know and you know again an old saying that investors would have i mean here's something an investor would say to themselves you know a stock's historic high was fifty dollars but then it declines rapidly the next thought in an investor's mind is well, once my stock gets back to 50 i'll sell and that is hope hope Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior and as dad said the commercial break we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing and i promise you we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior but before we get there i want to talk about Again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position, and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed income. Too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century, we'll continue to have that balanced allocation. Remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area. And also you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio, you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic-driven events. So, again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and, again, to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So... How do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation, an initial asset allocation model, and an ongoing asset allocation model, and an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it 
and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales-oriented than it is active management-oriented, meaning the investor has a relationship with a full-service broker. Uh, they, they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They, they typically set an initial allocation and when the, when the money's deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on. So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20 percent annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, I, you know, today when we when i see prospective clients the issue is not having the 15% plus the the double digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s mm-hmm. what it is is it's saying oh i want a 10% return but i don't want but i only want 20% of my money in stocks that's what we're seeing now there, there there's a there's a aversion for risk but the 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 return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large, but what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector. It's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic. Fixed income and equity cash holdings. Maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401k, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401k, per pay period contributions. We know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model, one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking we've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes with our own client base it's somewhere it's somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded which doesn't sound like a lot but get out of cash that's a difference between a 7% compounded return, and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, 
again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV, the Internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds. Market Watch. There's... You have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> the Atkins diet of uh, of uh, media consumption. Too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely. But it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend to your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.